Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Thermos Matt Court. How you doing? I'm very well. Yourself? No, not bad. Uh, so I've had you, uh, pretty busy, uh, writing about, uh, the softball pitching. Um, you know, uh, the, the duck softball team, I think did improve, um, uh, between 2022 and 2023. Um, and I think the main thing has been that the, you know, the bullpen pen got better. Um, it almost would have had to based on 2022, right? Yeah. There's some truth to that. I think that, uh, it wasn't, difficult to bring in a new pitching talent that was better than the pitching talent that transfer portaled out or graduated out uh, from the previous year. The the big question was going to be, where was this talent going to come from? And would coach Melissa Lombardi be able to bring in somebody who would improve the pitching prospects going into the 2023 season? And she succeeded at that. You know, in our uh, planning meetings, um, you know, I joked around about it and then I realized I wasn't really joking. Um, Well, I I think I really sort of blacked out uh, a lot of the 2022 like pitching history because like reading your article and sort of reliving it, um, I, I really sort of like blotted out a lot of what happened in 2022. Um, you know, uh, and, uh, I think I probably like elevated Stevie Hansen to, in my mind, um, or in the like emotional version of, you know, my memory, because we remember things emotionally more than we remember things factually. It's why we invented computers and why, you know, analytics are important. Um, uh, like, you know, in, in my memory, Stevie Hansen, I think was a better pitcher in 2022 than she really was. Um, because she was sort of, you know, she'd become Oregon's only pitcher in 2022, you know, right. at a certain point. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was sort of like, thank God for Stevie Hansen, you know, all year, you know, uh, seemingly it was like, thank God for Stevie Hansen. Thank God for Stevie Hansen. And it sort of like elevated her on a pedestal, um, that like, she probably wasn't actually, or there's no probably about it. She definitely wasn't performing actually at that level. If you break down, you know, her numbers. Now, some of that is probably a little unfair to her, um, you know, that harsh revisionist history is a little unfair because, you know, as you explore in your article, your first of two articles, um, you know, looking at the 2022 to 2023 um, evolution, like she got left in, you know, an awful lot. There was basically nobody to replace her. So like she could have been pitching at like, you know, a 3.0 ERA level um, through like, you know, five innings, but then, you know, she dip cause that'll happen into like a a well over three, you know, level by the end of it. Cause she should have gotten pulled, but then, you know, who was she going to get pulled for? Then then what? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I do think her ERA is probably a, a little artificially inflated for that factor in 2022. Um, but probably not that much. 
you know, she she just wasn't as good of a pitcher, you know, in 2022 as she was in 2023. And as I sort of at least I anyway, and I think probably I'm not the only one, you know, remember. And and I think it would also well, let me just stop and ask you, like, did, did something similar happen to you? Well, I think so. I mean, I, my impression of during the, during the 2022 season was that Hansen was clearly the best pitcher, regardless of actual outcomes of games. She was doing the best at pitching for Oregon. The, the thing is, though, you're right about this, you know, she'd go five innings, and, and this is not uncommon in softball. W- once the opposing batters have been through the lineup a couple of times against a pitcher, they start getting used to whatever it is she's up to, whatever her speed level is, if she throws a rise ball or throws a good uh, drop ball or something like that, they they figure it out as time goes along. So that one of the real advantages of having someone you can bring in, and especially if you have someone you can bring in who is, uh, if not a different style, at least a different speed and maybe some different movement on the ball, is that um, they're not ready for that. They're not, you get used to one pitcher and then you bring in somebody that throws differently. And that's a real advantage. You have a chance then as that second pitcher to sort of continue to uh, keep the, the bats quiet based on the differences between yourself and the previous pitcher. Hansen didn't have that kind of backup in 2022. They had other pitchers, but they, they just could not seem to put together games and and almost regardless of who they were playing as i as i note in the article they were 10 and 14 against pac-12 competition in 2022 they there are lots of games where oregon would get off to a decent start and by decent i mean either they would have a small lead or they would not be behind at all or by more than one or two runs so you're thinking okay they're in this game But after a while, you could sort of tell when the games would turn on them because all of a sudden they couldn't other team. Yeah. The the other team would start rolling out hits or you'd start getting hit batsmen or wild pitches or walks or whatever it was. You could just watch it just sort of fall apart in front of your eyes. And that happened repeatedly in the 2022 season and much less frequently in 2023. So they had basically in 2022, they had, well, I think technically they had five pitchers in the bullpen. Um, They had Hanson, who we've discussed. They've had, they had two more who survived to the 2023 season, um, Benning and Breedlove. Um, Although Benning was basically barely used in 2023 and then she's transferred out. Um, you know, so Benning was basically barely used in 2022, wasn't very good. Barely used in 2023, wasn't very good, and then transferred out. So it's kind of like she's not worth mentioning, to be perfectly honest. Right. Like not to be harsh, but like if we're just well, and does you numbers. know you some you have to have some uh, some number of statistics, some number of appearances to have your analysis mean anything. Yeah, if somebody it's comes almost in it's for like one game. Um, I, I don't, does great. That doesn't make yeah. a great pitcher. 
I'm not I'm not trying to trash her or anything. Yeah. I'm just no, saying it's like we don't have enough numbers on Benning right. to crunch her for 2022 versus 2023. Absolutely. And then it's also even if we did, it wouldn't be worth it for because she's not around for 2024. Right. Um. So like we're I'm just saying, like, put her aside. Um, yes. And then Breedlove goes from, you know, she she pitches barely at all in 2022 and badly with an era of like 13.76 to she pitches basically three times as many innings in 2023 right which is still not she's still not like a full-timer basically oregon only had two full-timers that's a half an inning a game over the season basically or a little right exactly but But she still she goes from like 25 innings pitched in 2022 which is essentially like barely anything to right. to something like 75 innings pitched in 2023 which is yeah you know it, it's it's three times as much you know and but here's the thing her ERA goes down to like uh 2. I, I forget nine. Yeah, 2.9. Like she actually becomes now she's coming in. Now that ERA is probably a little artificially um, better than it really would be because the games that she was coming in for, you know, like I said, she wasn't, you know, really getting thrown in for like the, okay, Reagan, we need you to win these games, you know, for real pitching. So like. You know, I, I kind of think a tr- her true number would probably be a bit worse than that. But still, yes. like, you know, the trajectory that she's on, like, I dig it, man. Like, uh, you know, like, I, you know, I would I'd, I'd, I'm really interested to see how she performs in 2024. If, you know, if she winds up, you know, like, hey, let's see if she triples her number of innings pitched again and, and is actually a full timer and b- brings her ERA down again. And if, you know. And if that's the case, then then hey, Oregon's got another full time, pretty good pitcher in their bullpen, which is like hell yeah, they need that. Like that's Absolutely. the next step they need to take. I, I can't be, I, you know, I can't guarantee that or anything. But basically, if Breedlove makes the same size step between, you know, between v- version five and version shit six that she did between version four and version five, like hell yeah, that's exactly yeah. what needs to happen. That would be that would be meaningful, and and in some ways it would be kind of similar to what happened when uh, Morgan Scott came into the program in 2023 and basically replaced mechanically Thermes in the bullpen. Well, um, so that one's the one that's really interesting, and yeah. basically I have zero explanation for what's the deal, you know with clothermis like did you like just narratively did you ever get an explanation or an understanding for what because like there was a time where i really thought that she was going to be the real deal and then it was never the case in 2022 and, and she just yeah and then she was done yeah she just fl- flamed out i mean if you look at some of the numbers that she put up um you know she she walked 23 batters in 45 innings so every other mm-hmm. inning basically that she's pitching she's walking somebody she also hit eight batters which was a, a gigantic number uh for 45 innings pitched uh for her so that to me that means uh well there's some control problems there She's walking batters. She's hitting batters. Um, you know, she she gave up, um, you know, a hit an inning, basically. So now you've got basically 
two base runners an inning that she's giving up. Uh, and if the, if the opponent starts stringing together some of those things, that's how you get in trouble. The other thing that, if, you know, if you look at it, it be really interesting to watch how uh, Coach Lombardi makes pitching changes and when she makes them. You, you can watch, you look at the stats of these games, and you've got some games where somebody is in there and the first hit they gave up, basically, uh, out they come. That's happened to Hanson a couple of different times. She's given up like a leadoff double or something, and mm-hmm. boom, she's out of the game. Um, other games, and, and also with, this has also happened to Hanson, where she's left in there to hopefully try to work through it and she'll get an out and then she'll hit somebody and then there'll be a single and then, uh, you know, a walk and then a home run or, and then Lombardi will pull her out of the game. So it, it, I'm sure it's hard from a pitching standpoint to not, you don't never want to come out, but to not know what are the objective standards to which I'm being held here? Yeah. Is it, is it one hit or is it a string of hits that leads to runs or what? Exactly I don't really think there is an objective standard. I, I don't I think, think she's doing it by feel Yeah, like I, you know, I, I really do. I, the, the, there's some sort of, uh, you know, just intuition or feel that comes to it rather than a, a hard and fast rule. Um, I think it probably would benefit them to establish a hard and fast rule to be perfectly honest and like pursue it a little more analytically, but like, I just don't, I really don't get the sense that that's the case. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Clearly Lombardi knows her pitchers. And I think that's sort of the genesis of it is that she's watched uh, at least this is true of Hanson, maybe not as much of Scott yet. Although I think there was more of that towards the end of the season. She's watched Hanson enough to know that when certain things start happening on the field, that's the time to go in and pull her out. And And some of those things may not, may not actually have happened yet, but she may have seen something in warmups or seen some before the game or seen something in warmups for the inning that's being played. That is a clue to her that, Hey, wait a minute. We're you know, we're going to get off kilter here a little bit in this inning. And that's when she goes in uh, with the hook. And if she doesn't see those things, then maybe she doesn't get the hook until, you know, some bad things have built up a little bit. Uh, by the way, I, I, I misspoke earlier when I gave uh, Reagan Breedlove's um, innings pitched. It was uh, it, it was nine innings in 2022 and 31 in 2023. So, I, you know, I had the, you know, three times as many. Yeah, she did like, triple. She tripled her, yeah. her, her participation. In, but in the, the, the reason that actually. I, you know, I went and looked at that is that like her 31 innings pitched in, in 2023, which like we were all talking about is like that's kind of a part timer, you know, because like, mm-hmm. you know, Scott, Scott's up at like 74 you know stevie hansen's at like 57 clothermis in 2022 is at 45 innings pitched you know she's basically a part-timer she's like barely pitching more in 2022 than breed love was in 2023 right And, and and then like jordan dale right like that's the other one who who basically like you know stevie hansen just like that, that basically Lombardi just doesn't trust, you yes. know, at all. Um, and, uh, you know, on top of and we didn't even mention like Brooke Inez is just injured and sits the entire season out and then transfers to UCLA, um, which like she probably knew that she was doing that and did it on Oregon's time, which is like that's. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Unfortunate. Yeah. Well, and uh, Hanson, of course, pitched 74 innings in 2022. And I, the, the obvious top 
person on the staff. It, it, again, this is in Pac-12 play we're talking about, but still, you know, by the time you get into conference play, you're pretty set on your rotation. You know who, how, you know how your team plays, how you're going to generate runs, how you're going to stop the other uh, team from scoring runs. So she was she pitched by far the most innings of anybody on the staff. In yeah, and so like if my math is right, that means like you know Dale is only pitching like 20 innings or so, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, she um, she had a couple of out. Dale had a couple of outings where she started and just got shelled. And I, she's another pitcher. I think that you know. And again, I, you can't say that uh, Lombardi had much confidence in anybody that year, the twenty twenty two as Hanson. Um, but again, she can't. You can't count on them to go in and start a game or come on in relief in a game and deliver what you need. And that's a tough, tough position to be in. So, you know, 2023, you know, the 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 primary improvement in addition to the fact that Stevie Hansen just becomes a better pitcher, right? Yes. Which is, you know, her ERA comes down. Um her ERA, you know, which, you know, partly I think she's just, you know, I think is a better better pitcher and I think also right. partly, you know, is because hey, she's not the only pitcher out there. Yes. But also like um, you know, uh, you know, Scott comes in and, uh, uh, you know, pitches excellently. She's a 274, you know, ERA, uh, pitcher and she, and she becomes the leading pitcher, right? Like she mm-hmm. takes the 74, right? right. Like Hanson yep. sa- in fact, it's like almost identical. Like Hanson pitches 74 innings in 2022. Scott pitches 74 innings in 2023. So like Scott in 2020. 2020- 23 becomes like the Stevie Hansen of, of 22, right? right? Like, uh, and then Stevie Hansen gets sort of like sit down a bit and become sort of like, you know, uh, Clothermis plus Breedlove, like that's her number of innings pitched. And then Breedlove gets to become like Dale plus Breedlove of 22, you know, yeah. uh, so, you know, essentially Oregon has two reliable pitchers instead of just one. Um, and they're more reliable, like they have better ERAs. And, you right. know, and, and and then on top of that, they have a third pitcher who ain't, you know, who ain't bad and who can, you know, you know. so it's like just overall, it's like, right. the, okay, so they have, you know, more pitchers. It's sort of like one and a half, you know, it's, you know, they go from one to like two and a half pitchers. Right. Uh, and they're uh, each of them are better. So like, yes. yeah, yeah, way better, you know, pitching situation. Absolutely. Um, there's one of the thing that you sort of discovered about the, uh, uh, you know, in doing this project, which is in 2023, which was um, the the pitcher that they brought in from Yukon, uh, Sikalski. Yes. She right. pitched in the non-conference games, um, but then got injured on February 19th. Yeah, there, um, on the 19th or shortly thereafter in practice right. or something. Right. Yeah. Um, you you actually had- contacted the school and were like, what the hell is going on? And you got an answer back from them, which I was like shocked by. Um, yeah, I was like- I was really pleased because previously it's been difficult to get a response. To, I know Badwater has, has had some good uh 
contact with the athletic department, but I haven't been able to duplicate that maybe because I don't live there. But yeah, I was really pleased to get, to get a response. I told him when I, when I emailed the guy said, listen, I don't need to know specifics. Like if she's injured, you don't have to tell me, oh, she blew out a knee or something. Just tell me if she's injured or, or if it's something else, because that tells me more about what her future at Oregon might be. If she's just, if she's just injured, she's less likely to jump ship and go somewhere else through the portal than she is if if uh you know she she's upset and didn't get played at all after the 19 she's perfectly healthy they just yeah chose not to let her not throw. just perfectly healthy but she got to count that as a redshirt season you know exactly. like she didn't she didn't pitch enough in 2023 to for that to count um as a burned season yeah, so um, I was told there would be no she pitched match. as a she she pitched as a true freshman in 2022 At for UConn, UConn right. and was actually like won a bunch of conference awards, mm-hmm. um, which is why Oregon snagged her. And then That's when true. she only pitched a little bit in non-conference play and then stopped pitching, we were all like, "What well, was she just a total dud?" You know, but no, she was just hurt and yes. and not just hurt and and that was the only reason she wasn't pitching, but got to redshirt. So it then looks like you know as far as we can tell. Um, Scott is coming back. She gets has one season. Um, Hansen is on year three because she was pitching as a true freshman in 2022. Breedlove right. comes back, and we're all hitch- hoping that she takes just as big a step forward, you know, for 24 uh, as she did in 2023. Um, and even if just Hansen and uh, Scott just hold steady. That'd be fine, but like yeah. you, you know, you hope they they improve a little bit. But even if they hold right. steady, that'd be great. If Breedlove takes a step forward, that's you know, th- you know, three full timers, and if Sokolsky is as good as a true freshman, you know, in in, in mm-hmm. as a redshirt sophomore as she was as a true freshman, and that this injury was you know is no big deal, you know, that she right. she recovers from it, like. That would be, you know, potentially like four, you know, full-time quality pitchers that Oregon would have in their bullpen, which like, dude, that's what we spent two years banging the drum for. Like, that's it. That's what Oregon has needed. You know, like it hasn't really been the bats. Like I've had some complaints here and there. Sometimes the bats go cold. I would like for them to have like top to bottom, you know, from, from one to nine in the pitching order, instead of sort of like when the shortstop comes up, it's, you know, it's not a boomer, but you know, I've got, those are minor complaints. Like, you know, the, the major complaint has been like, you know, when Utah came around and they got like, yammed like yeah man it was the pitching you know it's like sure that that's it man like that's the next step you has to do with pitching and if like and the the step between what you discovered the step between 22 and 2023 was a big step and and it 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 looks kind of looks like by the 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 way that Sokolsky sort of falls in your lap and 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 the potential step forward the breed love could take like oh man you know, they could have four, which would be sort of like nobody else has four. Looking how many <laughs> how many times, you know, when we did previews for all the other Pac-12 teams in the conference, like nobody would have four. Yeah, it was obvious who was going to pitch the three games. And usually right, exactly. one, their number one pitcher would pitch Friday and Sunday and their second pitcher would pitch Saturday. Right, exactly. Going in, you know, like really when when they had three, they really just had two. And their third was the like break glass for emergency, like somebody's having an off day. If Oregon has four, 
And like this, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Like I'm just like, this is spitballing. I still got to play the games. Right. If Oregon really has four, what that means is that they could have a, a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday pitcher. And on top of that, a break glass you yes. know, kind of pitcher. Yeah. Qual- quality really. And that's, so that's the other thing you need. You want obviously a quality starter and it's great if you can also have quality relief Yeah, in, uh, you know, in baseball, you've got a dozen guys that they bring in and out of games right. all the time to, to, that's not really you know, analogous to, though for no, softball. It's totally, because, totally not because, that because the pitching motion happens. is different, right? Yeah. Like right. You, you've, you just don't you've have to wear and tear on it. Yeah. Like a, a four-person bullpen is actually a pretty big bullpen in it softball, is. whereas in baseball, a four-person bullpen is a like, hold up. <laughs> like, yeah, no, nothing. Yeah, right. You're you're ten, you're ten short or whatever it is. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was really interesting in your the second article that you wrote um, about the uh, your 2024 uh, pitching was that um, you broke down the 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 Hanson versus Scott in the um, you looked at innings, uh, Pac-12 play um, uh, when Hanson versus Scott faced batters in a two strike situation. And, and here's what I thought was interesting. It was, you know, on first glance, there are ways of looking at where Hanson looked like a better pitcher than Scott, but then you broke it down to, you sort of like, I'm not sure we have a name for this. We might need to like come up with a name for it and, and name it after you slurms, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, clutch pitching, maybe like, mm-hmm. you know, when you've got the, the batter in your sights, you know, it's right. two strikes and it's time to strike them out or it's time to get them to swing at something and, you know, pop up for the out. Right. Um, and what you found was that in those situations, Scott was a way better pitcher than yes. Hanson was Scott had a pitch that would either get him stri- struck out or get him to swing into an out. Whereas Hanson was much more likely to get him to walk or would hit him like, like yes. literally hit them with the pitch or would, you know, the, 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 the batter would generate a hit um, off of it. Although you also noted that, uh, uh, Scott would give up more home runs in that situation. Yeah. She did. She gave a early, early in the PAC 12 season, Scott gave up a couple of, uh, Oh, two count home runs, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that is definitely not what you're trying to do with that third pitch you're throwing. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, that was interesting and definitely lined up with my observations of, and it was sort of like, I think all season long when I was belly aching about the, Oh, Hansen was better in 2022 than she was in 2023. I think part of what was feeding that was that like she's she's getting batters in that two strike situation and she's not putting them down. Right. Um and like it was yeah, that felt vindicating that like you mm-hmm. you basically like yeah, Scott was much better at putting them down in two strike situations. So like yeah, and that, yeah. I mean, those are easy. I mean, if there's such a thing as an easy out, um, those are the ones that should be. You got you have several ways to get them out. Uh, a few bad things that can happen, as as noted in the charts that I published. But uh, you, you know you have you have control, and it, obviously it's a batter's count or it's a pitchers count depending on how many balls there are but once you get to that second strike a pitcher has to have a pitch that she knows she can count on 
to get that batter out. Now that could be just when she blows straight by him and strikes him out that way. Uh, it, it could be a ball that they think is not a strike and don't swing at it and they take a called third strike. Uh, it, you know, it could be a ball outside the strike zone someplace that looks really good that they think I got to swing at this. I'm going to crush this. And it's, it's actually not really a hittable pitch. Uh, and that, so that's the, you know, to me, that's what I thought maybe halfway through the Pac-12 season about Hanson is she doesn't have an out pitch. She doesn't have, when she's got two strikes on somebody, she needs a pitch that she can throw with confidence that she knows is going to get that third strike. And it just didn't happen quite often enough. And certainly not as, uh, as often as it did with Scott. Yeah, that's what I, that I, I totally agree. Just watching her pitch. I really feel like her inventory is pretty limited to just getting the ball across the plate. Right. Um, and I mean, she does it competently and like, she doesn't, you know, I mean, it's clear when she's lost control of her pitch and I think Melissa right. Lombardi knows it and she pulls her at that appropriate point. Um, and she doesn't lose control too early the way that like, boy, you know, I can see it. I can see it in other pitchers. Oh, yeah. Um, which is so it's like valuable that she doesn't lose control of her pitch. But in terms of like being an ace and like and, and just killing somebody with like a change up where you're like, oh, my God, how are you supposed to hit that or a rise ball, which I see like a lot of pitchers have like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just don't I don't feel like her inventory is real big. Um, and that's I'm definitely interested to see if that's something because let's, let's not forget how young she is, you know, like this sure. was her true no, sophomore absolutely. year, yeah, whereas absolutely. Whereas, you know, Scott is going into like her super senior year. So like, that's definitely something that Hanson has time to work on. Um, and uh, it's something that I am definitely interested to see, you know, like maybe she'll unveil it, um, um, for, for next year. Um, I hope so. I hope so. You can see, I mean, if you look at the other thing is if you look at these charts and you look at innings pitched and starts, for example, um, Scott almost never has a short start. In fact, she's got a bunch of complete games. Obviously the only time you can have a a complete game is when you start, but she's got a ton of seven inning games. She's got some five inning games, a six inning game, which I think was actually a run rule uh, victory over Arizona. But, but with uh, Hanson, you know, her first start against Washington, 1.1 innings, Um, a start against UCLA, one inning in which she gave up, uh, she faced seven batters and, uh, and, and was gone. Um, could not get anybody out uh, in, in that game at all. Um, you know, st- starts against uh, Cal, pretty good, 4.2. But she had a lot of these starts where it was like, well, she didn't really have it today. And they touch her early, and that's when out she goes and, and in comes, uh, you know, a relief pitcher. Uh, yeah, I mean – yeah, for as starts anyway, you know, obviously yeah. Scott comes in and pitches a bunch of like single inning or double inning, but they're not they're in relief, they're you know, relief. in terms yeah. of like yeah, starts, you know, yeah. Um and, and that's basically because like yeah, for some of the good hitting teams, you know, Washington, UCLA, um like, you know, she like the 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 good hitting teams like they take one look at her and they've got her figured out. And they just clobber and like, cause, cause like if you're a good hitting team, like frankly, Stevie Hansen wasn't that difficult to figure out. Um, you know, that's, that's a problem, you know, and she needs to be like tougher to figure out. 
going yep. forward. And, and I'm sure she's working on that and trying to develop, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, she's got pitches, she's got rise balls and, and drop balls and curves and, and change ups and everything, but she has to work to develop those more than she has been able to so far. And I'm sure she will be. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, we'll talk about uh, products and major league baseball. So uh, the Oregon Ducks, as have been noted in a couple of different broadcasts, are right up there with the Oregon State Beavers for uh, having the most um, uh, uh, pros in Major League Baseball. In fact, one of them got called up from the minors to the pros in the middle of the season. So I, actually, it's possible that the Ducks have uh, have passed the Beavers at this point. Wow. You know, it's and what's interesting is given Oregon's pitching woes during the season, like almost every one of these guys are pitchers. Yeah, that was a crazy um, thing about it. Five of the seven players currently in MLB that that played at Oregon are pitchers. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're kidding me. Well, uh, you wrote them up. Uh, why don't you run them down? Sure. Yeah. Um, so first on the uh, first on the list is uh, Garrett Clevenger. Uh, who is uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays. Unfortunately, he's uh, sustained an injury uh, trying to tag out somebody from the Yankees who probably uh, spiked him or something like that. So he is going to be out, um, I believe, for the rest of the season uh, with that injury, uh, which is unfortunate because he was off to a reasonably good start. He had a 3.0 ERA, and, and he was getting 14 strikeouts. He had 14 strikeouts, but he only got in 12 innings of work for the team before the injury happened. So it was pretty early in the season. Very unfortunate for him. Hopefully uh, that'll be a recovery for him and he'll be back on the mound. Um, if not this year, then next year for the Rays. Uh, Tyler the Anderson. The Rays are doing it, pretty well though, right? They're, like, they're the best team in baseball. They get the best record in, in Major League Baseball this year. And they, they opened the season with like 10 or 12 wins in a row or something. Yeah. Some crazy nationally, a national record record um for that squad so they're they really i clearly have it together uh this season it's a long season admittedly i think we're only about halfway done um with the counting games so there's a long way to go but they they look pretty sharp so far uh tyler anderson uh is a starting pitcher for the la angels um he is, he's got um, an ERA of 564. So one of the interesting things about this is all the ERAs to me look pretty high, but some of that I think has to do with the changes they've made with the pitching clock and the no shifts on defense and all the stuff that they've put yeah, in Yeah, ERAs have been climbing across the board. Yeah, in, in so it, you know that I, it's hard to, it, you really can't com- maybe compare them with previous years when there were more advantages for the pitcher and the fielders, the Defenders, so um, you know you got to take the numbers that come out with a grain of salt a little bit and see how they compare maybe with future years as opposed to to past years. Um, so he's working for for the uh, Angels. Uh, Cole Irvin is another starting pitcher. He he plays for the Orioles. He's only gone one and three. He's had five starts, one and three record, and again he's got a seven seventy four ERA, which in you know in previous years would have been like terrible. This year it's hard to it's hard to know. Um, Scott McGuff is a, is a right handed pitcher. No, no, no. Irvin, like, it? come on. Ir- Irvin's just bad. Like, okay. a- a- Anderson, I mean, I'll give him a pass because he struck out more than he's walked, but like, right. 
not not so for Irvin. <laughs> well, well, he's you know, also he's also giving up an opponent a batting average of three sixteen, which you know if you can hit three sixteen, you're in the show. Yeah. Uh, so you don't you don't want to be giving that up to all nine guys on the roster um, when you're pitching. So. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about Irvin. Like I, I seven seventy four. Even with the changes, like I don't know about that. But like, well, whatever, he's getting paid. Yeah, no, that he's there, and and hopefully he'll have a chance to to prove himself and improve some as the season goes along there um, in Baltimore. Uh, Scott McGuff is right hander with the Diamondbacks. We have two Ducks on the Diamondbacks. Uh, he has yet to win a game, but he's got five saves. Uh, he's being used, I believe, in in uh, relief for that club. Uh, Pitched 39 innings, um, struck out 47 and walked 12, which is not bad. That's almost a four to one ratio on that. He's killing it. How does he not have any wins with that? I, ratio, yeah, you know, right? they must be sending him in there when they're already behind or something. Yeah. So he really has no chance to win or save the game unless there's a big offensive rally by, uh, by the Diamondbacks going on there. Apparently they don't do that. Um, and, and Ryan Nelson is the other guy that's on the Diamondbacks. So it's his also, fault. Yeah, probably. He's, he's the right-hand starting pitcher that's putting well, look at this. all Struck out 52, positions. walking 26. Not his yeah, fault. Two to one. You know, that's not bad. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's 531 ERA again. That, you know, that's somewhere in perhaps uh, acceptable, depending on how you look at it. Hmm. Um, Spencer Steer is... Uh, settled into the starting lineup for the Reds in Cincinnati. Um, but he's primarily a first baseman, but they're kind of using this kid as a Swiss army knife. He's played um, third base, first base, left field. He's played as the designated hitter in some games and also pinch hit in some games. So he's, uh, he's doing quite a bit of work uh, there for the Reds. Um, he's got he, he's got 40 RBIs, which is amazing considering some of these games he's a pinch hitter, but he's got 40 RBIs, which is was tied for 42nd best uh, in the MLB when I wrote the article. I'm sure it, it might not be the same now, but it was then. Um, he's, yeah, he's got a pretty good. It looks he wrote like he's it four got a days good, ago, man. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you never know. I mean, they've they played uh, five games since then, so mm. something may have changed. Um, He's got a 468 slugging percentage, and he's also got some speed. He's stolen seven bases, which is not a huge number, but he can steal bases. So that's also good. Um, Johnny DeLuca is a kid. He's a rookie outfielder with the Dodgers. He was just brought up this month, at the beginning of this month. From a uh, team that has like a ridiculous name. That's what I remember from the tweet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's I can't. Like, it was a, like a triple A team that has like a ridiculous name. Yeah, I, forget I can't. What it, what I don't it remember is, what it. Yeah, what it was. It was like the Anteaters uh, or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, so he's been playing pretty regularly since June the seventh in the outfield. He's played all three outfield positions. I think they're trying to figure out who is going to play what. We're midway through the season, but the Dodgers are still trying to figure out who to play in in left field or versus right field. Um, he's he's taking. DeLuca's got some adjustment to do, as everybody does, or almost everybody, I guess, that that uh, comes up from uh, AAA to the bigs. He's hitting just 190. Um, he hasn't. He doesn't have a lot of stats. He's had 21 at bats uh, with just four hits. So uh, he's he's adjusting. Hopefully, as he gets used to you know the differences of uh, the bigs versus the AAA club that he was at, he'll start to improve those figures a bit. 
Oh, here, here we go. He was, he was playing for the Ranch of Cucamonga Quakes and then the uh, Great Lake <laughs> Loons, uh, followed by the uh, Tulsa Drillers. Wow. Uh, yeah, man. He's been all over the country. Yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, it's a good article, man. Like, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's been fun, uh, looking at all the, the major league ducks. Uh, uh, you've been running through a bunch of different, uh, you did, uh, the, uh, WNBA, uh, products yes. a little while ago. And I think, yep. uh, on tap, you're going to look at, um, the USFL, which I, yeah, uh, is still a if thing, the league doesn't, yeah, if the league doesn't fold before. Yeah. These things the sort article. of have a, uh, yeah, we got to get you on that here quick. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's great to have so many. I mean, the, a lot of these people are players that that some folks that read ATQ will remember from their college days at Oregon. I mean, the the WNBA obviously being a, an exception where everybody remembers all those players because they were so great when they were in Eugene. Uh, but it's fun to look back and and say, hell yeah, I remember when that guy was pitching, and I you know I thought or didn't think or predicted that you know he was going to end up in the MLB. So um, you know, good good for these guys. It's a lot. Of, it takes a lot of work to get there. If you're not a you know a top player, first round draft pick, have a slot ready for you when you show up. It's a ton of work to get where these guys are. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll uh, talk about Colorado football long last. So finally uh, coming to the end with the uh, 11th out of 11 of my Pac-12 previews for teams that aren't Oregon, uh, which is the Colorado Buffaloes. Um uh, had to save this one for the last um, because, you know, Colorado turned over basically their entire roster, um, their zone. I mean, they they kept 10 guys from the previous team on scholarship. And Frank, and actually, by the time I finished, you know, going through the roster, there's actually two of those dudes who I'm fairly confident aren't seriously on the team. Um, so it's more like there's only eight. Um, uh, yeah. Um, the, uh, it's, yeah, it's like basically a brand new team. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the other thing is, uh, um, it's, you know, I, I understand, you know, we interviewed Jack Barsh, who I've been talking to for now five years. Uh, I really enjoy Jack. He's, he's a great source of information. He, and he's just great to talk to. He's really fun, really level-headed. Um, you know, he, he would never get too low when we talk about Colorado in the bad years and he doesn't get like too, you know, crazy hype monster now that all the attention in the world is on Colorado. So like, I'm really, really grateful to be talking to Jack. Um, and, uh, and the, 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 the thing about like going through this roster with Jack is that like, this conversation with Jack and this article that I'm going to publish, as far as I am aware, it is the only like serious, like top to bottom construction of what Colorado, you know, what they're too deep is actually likely to be, um, you know, who their players are actually going to be. That isn't just like, you know, screaming and hype and noise about like, look at the super exciting player and look at this super exciting player and, or, on the other hand, and here, like, there's the the flip side to all the 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 crazy like pro 
Deion Sanders hype that that people are uh, attention that people are trying to get is there's a dark side to it too, which is I really feel like just as many grifters as there are who are trying to grab that. There's there are people who are just sort of automatically are like, oh, this is doomed to fail. They got nothing but garbage. You know, this is all a, a dog and pony show. And like, look, man, there's a bit of dog and pony show to it. Like the like the the spring game that ESPN put on. Um, I even snuck in a Commedia dell'arte reference into my article. Let's see if anybody <laughs> recognizes it. Um, but like, uh, uh, and, and like, I get why Deion Sanders is doing it. He needs attention to attract, you know, 19 and 20 year olds, you know, to his roster. And he's actually done a pretty good job of it. Like, you know, I, I, I guess where I'm going with this is that like, it's neither, neither the neither 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 sides of these like hype monsters are correct like it is neither the case that colorado is built top to bottom with you know five stars or total studs who were diamonds in the rough that everybody else overlooked nor is it the case that colorado is built top to bottom with fcs jerkwads and castoffs who are useless um and this is going to be a complete disaster like nope Neither one of those things are true, which frankly, if you were a thinking person, you must have realized, of course, that's the truth. The truth is always somewhere in between. And I guess what I'm here to say is that like, it's kind of surprising how, how exactly in between it is like sort of every position is, I mean, honestly, it looks like every other PAC 12 team that I've reviewed in, in that, Hey, this position looks pretty good. This position, you know, kind of fell into their laps. Uh, this position, I think they didn't do enough work on. This position, I think, kind of looks bad. Um, you know, this position, I think they fell in love with these guys, but um, I th- I think they messed up. Um, like, they fell in love too easily and they didn't get enough guys. You know, it, like all of these things I'm sure you've heard me say about other Pac-12 teams over and over and over again. And it's sort of, you know, so for anybody who's thinking like, oh, this Colorado team is sui generis because Coach Prime is, is, you know, this totally unique figure or this turning over like 60 plus, you know, dudes on the roster is the thing that's totally never been done before. Both of those things are true. But the end result of it as being this totally unique product, nope. Ultimately, it just looks like a whole lot of, you know, other Pac-12 rosters. And the other thing is in terms of like, you know, the, the total average talent, you know, that, that, that they have, which is something I can easily calculate. In fact, it's just as easy to calculate for Colorado as it is for every other team. Colorado did a pretty, you know, overall, you know, by shedding a bunch of low talent players and adding several, not entirely, but several, um, you know, higher talent players, uh, they wound up moving from an average over the last two, you know, their average in 2021 and their average in 2022 was just over the 8,500 mark, which is almost like perfectly a mid three star. Um, uh, or actually it's on the lower end of a mid three star. Um, uh, they moved up to um, just below an 8,700, um, which is still not a high three star yet, um, but it's getting close to be a high three star. So like moving up almost, you know, 
two hundredths of a point in the two four seven composite rating for your entire eighty five man roster is wow, that's big. That's a huge jump. You know, yeah, with the complete with the complete turnover that they did as well. Yeah, that's like that's as big of a jump as Arizona did from twenty one to twenty two, and like I was screaming about that. You know, yeah. um. And uh, and the jump they did that Arizona did in absolute terms was from like, you know, 0.835 to 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 0.855, you know, so like, you know, Colorado did the same size jump, but to a higher level. Um, but all that really means is that Colorado jumped to like the fifth or sixth most talented team, you know, in the, in, in the Pac-12. It's not like they jumped up to, you know, even you know, Utah or UCLA or Washington's level, much less, you know, it's come on, they're still getting absolutely dusted, you know, by teams, you know, USC and Oregon who are, you know, operating at like 0.91, you know, they're like, you know, way getting left behind, you know, by those. That's amazing. It sounds like such a small difference. I know. Well, it's because they choose to do it, you know, out of, you know, 0.1. Yeah. I mean, it's the difference between your team being made up on the average of a, of a mid three star and your team being made up on the average of four stars. Like, yeah, yeah, they're, you know, a team being made up on the average of a mid three star is like a mid tier power five team, which Colorado now is. Um, There is sort of like one factor which, you know, I just finished saying that, like, congratulations, Colorado, you now look like every other Pac-12 team, like you didn't change anything. Um, uh, There is one thing, um, or obviously they did change something because they went from being a, you know, a terrible Pac-12 team to an average Pac-12 team. That's changing something. But I mean, like, they're they're not, like, fundamentally different from all the other average Pac-12 teams. But then I need to walk that back a little bit. There is one potential factor, which is a difference between other average Pac-12 teams that, that and, and when I say potential, it's because it, it's that thing that we've never seen before, which is we've never seen a totally new roster of 60 new dudes before. Right. And there's, you know, I've been talking about it with offensive linemen for a long time, which is that like, I'm kind of a doubter about this, like uh, about, you know, portal based offensive lines. Cause like offensive lines need time to gel, you know, with one another, you know, um, whereas it seems like other positions, you can kind of parachute, a, a, you can parachute one or two dudes in, into a, into a sort of established room and they like integrate quickly in the way, but like offensive linemen, that's not true, mm-hmm. but like, that's not even what's happening with Colorado there. I mean, there's happening, you know, the, their offensive line is doing that. And so I have doubts about their offensive line. And frankly, I think that's going to be really an undoing for them. Like I really have doubts about their offensive line, frankly, for that reason, because they're, they're, they totally got it constructed from the portal and I am in, you know, on record for quite some time about being a skeptic of, of, of that for the offensive line. But I'm also curious about like that parachuting players in, into an established room that happens in the other, you know, eight or however you, you want to count other units, you know, quarterback, running back, uh, you know, 
wide receiver, tight end, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every other, you know, team that's ever existed, you know, in the history of the transfer portal, it's like sort of an established group of dudes that they then add a couple of dudes to, and they sort of like glom into that culture. That ain't happening with Colorado. They're sort of creating it from scratch. You know, on the on the podcast with Jack, I called it like the hot dog, you know, like the you know, a hot dog being created from various disparate cast aside elements, you know, like that that Simpsons graphic where it's created from like <laughs> raccoon, rat, pigeon, a piece of a boot, you know, <laughs> like um Thanks very much. Yeah, right, exactly. For that mental image. Yeah, I know. Um, although I, I also quoted an, an old Errol Morris ad, you know, the, the, uh, you know, you do not ask what's in a hot dog. The hot dog asks of you, you know, what flavor do you contribute to the national knockwurst? Because that's the American way, man. You know, all of us sure. are cast off elements from, you know, keep, uh, you know, keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, you know, like Emma Lazarus should be writing poems about the Colorado roster. Right. Uh, anyway, the, uh, uh, we don't know how that element of this experiment is going to go. This sort of like, what happens when you, you know, when all these people from a bunch of teams get together and, and, and stop being polite and start being real. Um, that's an interesting question. Like it could, it could be that all of that amounts to nothing and, and they're just fine. Or it could be that this doesn't work at all. And that's what all the skeptics are saying is going to happen. And it could be that they're right, or it could be that they're totally wrong and that they're just making shit up. So I don't know. It seems to me the chance that they have is coach Sanders and his magnetism and his belief in what he's doing and the the as i understand it from just reading about it he's been bringing in kids that believe in what he's trying to do believe in his philosophy his view of football his view of life whatever it might be and at the basis of some of this you have to have that from your players the players have to trust the coach and the coaching staff and the coaching staff has to figure out how to get the best they can get out of this group of players. And if there's more buy-in from the players, and we've, we've had some seasons at Oregon where the players did not buy into what was going on mm-hmm. and the results were pretty predictable. If the players buy into it, it seems like they can elevate themselves and be more than the sum of their parts. I think I do have some criticism for that. I I know what you're saying. I do have some criticism for it. Like I have some criticism for the quarterback room and the way it's been managed. Um, And that comes from coach Sanders, frankly, because he just instantly said, my son is the quarterback, (laughs) right? Which there's two problems with that. First of all, every one of the quarterbacks transferred out, which like, because like who's going to put up with that right like the you know who's going to put who's going to stick around and be the backup quarterback knowing there is a zero percent chance you get a fair shot in fall camp to become the starter right um so they have no backup they they have a you know one freshman uh who's early enrolled in one freshman and i mean true freshman who's a fall enrollee so if shadur sanders his youngest son um if he's unavailable for any reason, that's it. Your season's over. Right. 
you know, they don't have anybody who can play quarterback if, if, if Shadur Sanders is injured, which is not like I'm rooting for or anything. I'm not a monster. I'm just saying, like, that's a situation you created, you know. It happens every year somewhere. I, I know. I'm just saying that, that uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying about injuries. I, I, I'm, uh, you know, but it's like you, you sort of created that situation when you declared mm-hmm. your son is the starting quarterback from the get go, you know, like because no other quarterback is going to put up with that. And the other problem is that, like, I do like the offensive coordinator that he brought in, Sean Lewis. He's actually got a really interesting history. I'm not going to recapitulate the whole thing here. You can read my article um, for it. Um uh, but basically, I'm not sure actually Lewis's system, which is a vertically oriented passing system and which also features a lot of quarterback runs. It's like those are the two things that Shadur Sanders doesn't do at Jackson State. Like I went and watched Jackson State film. too. Like I watched film for this project, man. It was a lot of film. The reason why we saved Colorado for the last, you know, was not just to give them the most time for all these transfers, but also give me the most time because I went and watched film on almost every one of these players um, and the new coaches. Um, so I watched Jackson state film and I watched Sean Lewis's film at Kent state and Colorado and, and Syracuse. I watched Charles Kelly's film, the defensive coordinator. I watched film for almost every one of these FBS transfers. I wasn't able to find some of the FCS transfers. I watched Jackson state film. Yeah, man, I watched film for this project. Um, cause like, I'm a real, I'm, I'm a scientist, man. Back off. Um, I got that quote backwards. Sorry. Uh, the, um, like, yeah, uh, Lewis's system is a vertically oriented spread offense um, with deep downfield, four verts passing, and a lot of quarterback runs where the quarterback is a tank. And like Shadur Sanders is sort of the opposite of that. Like his offense reminds me of nothing so much as like Arizona State's offense when Jaden um, Daniels was there under Noel Mazzoni for a couple of years, where it was all horizontal oriented. And like most of the passes were. Um, but the Jackson state and Arizona state, like I'm, uh, are like, they're within eight yards of the line of scrimmage or mostly screens or whatever. And they're relying on the athletic advantage of the receivers to play against basically bad defenses who can't tackle. Um, and like Sanders, I'm not saying that Sanders is a bad quarterback. I don't think that he is. Um, but it's like, if there's a criticism of him, it's that he never really threw deep balls and is like, and the knock is that his arm talent, his arm strength, excuse me, not his arm talent. There's a difference between those things, but his arm strength for hitting the deep balls, like no one's really seen it. And the other thing is that he's not like designed run game was never really part of his game at, at Jackson. So it's sort of like, how is Sean Lewis going to use this guy? It's sort of an unknown, um, you know, uh, and like, uh, y- you know, um, did, did you get, you know, and on top of that, if he wants a running quarterback, you're not going to get a running quarterback because you can't afford to run your quarterback because you don't have any backup quarterbacks, right? right? Like you can't afford any risk to this dude. So it's sort of like, I sort of feel like instantly declaring Shadur Sanders is your starter sort of wastes almost every one of the benefits of getting Sean Lewis. So that that's my criticism there. I got a lot of criticisms for the quarterback room, you know, to be honest. Um, I like the running back room. Good job. Uh, the tight end room. Um, I really don't think the tight end room is a thing. I detail all the reasons why in my article. Um, I sort of think they're even hanging on to, to some problematic 
scholarships there. Um, the wide receiver room, I, I actually think they, they did a pretty good job here. They brought in a couple of guys from USF, one to play in the slot, one who's going to be the outside receiver. Um, they got a couple of other interesting guys at inside receiver. Inside receiver actually looks pretty much set. Um, the difficult thing was they only had a couple of guys for the spring game. And and uh, so I have to sort of make guesses about, you know, everybody else because they're not coming in until the fall. Um, kind of the issue is the way that Sean Lewis's offense works is that he always has two outside receivers on the field and they need to be tall outside receivers. And that's where they're sort of hurting for dudes. Like they have one of them figured out, but like kind of their options for the other dude are all weird. Um, and I, and none of them I think are sort of perfect for it. And you'll have to read my article for why I'm not going to go through all of them, but it's sort of like, I don't quite think they got enough guys here. Um, unless they, unless one of the freshmen really break out, like they got four true freshmen who are all of whom I think, or they actually got seven true freshmen, but I think four of them are outside receivers. Three of them are too short. Um, and, and so it's like maybe one of the freshmen break out. And then they have like a two-way player who's Travis Hunter, which is like, this is another one that has generated way more heat than light in the Colorado media and hangers on that dude's a cornerback. They may play him for some, you know, fun wide receiver stuff, but like the, the idea that they're going to play, you know, like, okay, Travis, I want you to run up and down the field as a wide receiver when we're on offense and then i want you to run up and down the field when we're on defense and then i want you to run up and down the field when we're on offense and then on defense and i want you to do that for 60 minutes like you've got to be kidding me <laughs> and do you no think one you can play on special teams too yeah exactly like the idea <laughs> that he's going to be a two-way player for 60 minutes of game time every yeah, football game ridiculous. is absurd they are go he's going to be their starting cornerback they're going to throw him in for some fun stuff on wide receiver but he is not their starting wide you know x receiver and they need to have a full-time starting X receiver next to their other, you know, the, the other guy that they got, you know, from, and it's sort of like, they don't quite have enough guys. So I think they're, they might have to dip into these true freshmen. And that's sort of like, I sort of had to leave that one as a question mark. Like they might get another dude from the portal. They might have to dip into a true freshman. They might have to play a walk on, or they might have to do a lot with Travis Hunter, which I don't think is going to be, would be a good idea because they'd be exhausting him. Um, so it's sort of like, come on guy, you should have gotten more dudes here. Um, unless you really, really believe in your true freshman, which like maybe they do, but it's probably not a good idea to believe in your true freshman that much when they're like low three stars and a couple of mid or excuse me, low four stars and a couple of mid three stars. Like if they were five stars, maybe you believe in them that much, but like that's one where maybe they fell in love with some guys a little too much. And I'm sort of like, that's a sort of, roster management kind of like did you fall in love too much you know rather than being you know where's your head um oh and here's the other thing about you know i only count them as being like 77 um scholarships used uh including the three special teamers and and the two other like guys who i trust to be like good scholarship counters who are brian howell who writes for buff zone and um and adam munster tiger who writes for the 247 site like they both also come to 77 um so like i, I think we're you know that number is correct it's an 85 scholarship cap so they've got like eight left to play with i think they're going to give one to a particular uh, walk on running back who deserves a charlie offerdahl and good for him um but that would just take them to 78 which means they still have seven to play with i think i can identify a few spots where they could use some help one of them is another outside wide receiver they could use some help at offensive line i think they need a little more help at um 
at a linebacker, I, I would take a few more guys. Um, but it's like they're running out. Like I just saw a tweet from Mike Farrell today that said there's literally only 162 guys left in the transfer portal out of a, more than a thousand guys who got in um, starting in August of last year. And it, and you have to be done in a month's time. July 31st is when rosters have to be absolutely finalized um, for the for the season. Um, and you've only got 162 to play with. Do you think those 162 are the best options? No, you know, like I'm not even sure they can all play at this level. Yeah. So like, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so it's like, I don't know, man. Like I, I sort of like, even though like this is sort of a heroic amount of roster turnover and like you will never find probably in the history of college football, a more aggressive job of roster management. Like, and when I say in the history, it's because the NCAA waived the 25 initial counter rules. So like, that's why they were able to take 60 dudes. You're probably never going to see that again, but like, or maybe you will, who knows. Um, but it was like related to COVID cause like teams had to, they built up cause there was that COVID. Uh, eligibility holiday right? right and so teams have like too many players that they're carrying around but so like well what do we do if we clear them out we won't be able to backfill well okay i'll, I'll give you this waiver for the for l you know the, the the initial counter rule um so like unless we have another pandemic anyway um oh, i should knock on wood for that one god, god damn. Uh, yeah <laughs> right uh, anyway <laughs> So like I do, you know, even though you'll probably never see knock on wood as aggressive a roster management, you know, as this before, it doesn't mean I think they did an absolutely perfect job. I have some areas in which I think, you know, that they, they could have, you know, gone harder. Um, uh, not at clearing guys out. <laughs> like, there's really no way you could have been harder, but like at adding, you know, more dudes and like, um, and, 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 and yeah, like, you know, that's one area where I think they could have added more offensive lines. Another area where I think they could have added more, they're probably going to wind up playing like a true sophomore, um, at center who I wasn't in love with last year. They're probably going to wind up playing a, another young player at left tackle who I wasn't in love with last year. Um, and well, I'm not going to re recap the entire offensive line discussion because it's enormous, but basically like the conclusion that I came to was essentially, um, Look, you need to have six playable guys on for your offensive line, right? You have to have five starters and you have to have a sixth man as like your backup because you're never getting through a year without somebody right. going down, right? So you have to have six playable guys. In in my opinion, the pool that they have to draw from um to find those six playable guys is seven, maybe eight guys big. Because like the they're they only have like thirteen guys on scholarship, and I think like I, I think like five or six of those guys are not actually playable. Um, like not in twenty twenty three. I think that even though a lot you know they only took one freshman, but I think a number of the portal dudes that they got are are still like young developmental guys who are undersized and not going to be playable. Um, or maybe the staff thinks they're playable, but I am looking at them and I'm like, that guy is not a power five dude. I am sorry. Um, and um, well, that's a thin margin. Yeah. It, well, yeah. What it means is that their hit rate would need to be something like 75 or 85 percent, um, to, you know, to get six guys out of seven or six guys out of eight, you know, for your playable list versus your pool. Um, 
and like that's too high. You cannot assume that your hit rate is that high. And so I think they're going to have problems on the offensive line. And uh and that's before that's before you get to my problems with portal-based offensive lines. Right. Um so like I mean I still think they're going to have problems with their offensive line and that's another thing that I go through in my articles. I li- I go through Colorado's entire history of offensive line problems. Like they this will be their sixth offensive line coach in 6 years. Oh, um from 2018 through 2023 has been six seasons they will have had six different offensive line coaches um and like remember two of their starters are going to be you know holdover dudes so you know like it's relevant that those guys have had a bunch of different offensive line coaches mm-hmm. so like i worry about their their offensive line and like you don't have a football team if you don't have an offensive line and for anybody who thinks like oh up tempo offenses mean that your offensive line don't matter oregon fans in particular ought to know that ain't true you know anybody who watched ship kelly for 6 years and and should know that steve greatwood was the secret sauce there in training yeah up your offensive linemen so they don't have heart attacks from snapping the ball 120 (laughs) times a game you know ought to know that you know having a really really good offensive line is absolutely essential to executing a high quality up-tempo offense um they uh they had to replace just about everybody on their they're they're switching up uh their their defense you're gonna have to read my article to explain that uh like the structure like i i I, you know it's funny because i studied charles kelly when he was florida state's defensive coordinator in 2014 when oregon played him in the rose bowl the very first playoff game ever and oregon just shredded uh charles kelly's defense um he's playing a different system now he was the safeties coach at alabama for the last four years he wasn't running it or anything but he absorbed the mint defense and guess what he's now running the mint defense not the system that he was running at florida state which is something that you will learn for the first time ever reading my article um you know because like literally no one has said this before in any publication that i can find because like that's the quality of journalism that's going on anyway um so like i had so a i had to establish that and then b i had to like you know with jack go through and fill in like who all the different pieces are the nose and the four eye who i sort of classified as tackle they have like a separate defensive tackle and defensive end coaches which sort of clued me in that like the nose and four eye are going to be dts and then they're going to use a a five tech and an olb as sort of the ends um sort of the edges of the defense anyway the um i think they did a you know pretty pretty fine job on the dts but like the dts weren't really the problem last year i was sort of like colorado's dts so i think like they're basically going to hold steady there. Um, the the edges, though, they did. I think they they just substantially improved their edges. That's going to be one where, like, if Colorado improves from 2022 to 2023, this will be one of the reasons, significant reasons why um, Colorado, uh, excuse me, quarterback, significant early starting quarterback anyway, significant improvement. Um, uh, offensive coordinator, significant improvement. Um, uh Wide receiver, there is a potential to be an improvement, although I've really sort of always liked Colorado's wide receivers and I really thought that was a problem. Um, but like they could be a little better, but like, I don't know how much significantly better and DTs. That's another one. They could be a little better, but like, I never really thought the DTs were a problem on the edges, however, significantly better. So like, yeah, they, they really could improve, you know, at edges linebacker. This is weird because their linebackers last year were terrible and were definitely the problem. I would actually identify other than 
well, I mean, on the defense anyway, there's a bunch of problems with the offense. So just like, let's just put away all the offensive complaints. But on the defense, the linebackers were definitely like a number one, the biggest, hugest, oh my God, problem, bigger even than the ends. Um, Because like the ends are sort of like, you don't need your ends. The, the ends won't give get you in trouble like the ends will are, are like gravy or, or icing on the cake right like if you have really good ends they will win you games you know because like they'll rush the passer and be disruptive or whatever but if you have bad ends it won't lose you games if you have bad linebackers you are going to lose games because you won't be able to stop the run and you won't be able to stop passes up the middle and guess what colorado couldn't stop the run and couldn't stop passes up the middle because their linebackers were absolutely terrible so i do actually have serious questions about like basically everything they did in the linebacker room they they i don't think they got enough dudes and i don't really like the guys that they got like um they basically got they got three freshmen all of whom are going to red shirt and they got they retained one dude from colorado who's like a career backup but like the other guys that they got are also all career backups for, so it's like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, like, uh, you know, I, I don't actually like now, did they probably improve the room compared to last year? Yeah. Cause last year was terrible. So like, y- yes, it's an upgrade, but in terms of like, really what the problem is, it's like they got three blue chips from like high recruiting programs, like FSU, Clemson, and Alabama. So it's like, look, man, one of those guys is probably was just hiding in the shadows and is going to like step out, you know, that's cause that's the ratio, right? Like if you get three uh, guys like that, one of them is going to step out cause three to one. Yeah. That's about how those odds usually work. The problem is you need, you don't need one of them. You need like two of them. And actually you need three of them. You need two starters in a, in a, in a quality backup. And it's like, they just didn't get enough guys here. And this is again, one of those, like, I don't think, I think you fell in love here. I think you looked at these three dudes and you said, all three of these guys are going to work out. I'm going to get a 100% hit rate here. Right. And so therefore these three dudes are enough and I don't need to do any more work here. And, uh, or I don't, you know, man, I, I don't really know what story they were telling themselves, but I know what section it belongs in, which is fiction. Yeah. Like y- you, you, you do not get a 100% hit rate. You do not. They should have gotten something more like, you know, six, seven, eight, maybe nine guys, because that's how you hedge your bets to make sure that you have enough, you know, high quality playable guys to get a real high quality unit. So will this unit probably wind up being a bit of an upgrade over, you know, the horrible unit that Colorado had last year? Yeah, no doubt. But will it be a high quality unit that uh, will scare Pac-12 teams? Um, I'd I probably don't think so because I, I don't think that they got enough to hedge their bets here. And that's a roster management problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Defensive backs probably going to be fine. There is sort of a funny story about, I I think they have retained one dude who's, you know, Trevor Woods, who is sort of Jack loves our our podcast guest. Like he really loves him as being this like really instinctual Mr. Football kind of guy. And the other one of uh, Deion Sanders sons, um, who I don't actually think is that good, uh, is probably going to take his job and it's just going to be like total nepotism. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The funny thing here is that they got like three FCS dudes, but then three like power five dudes, but the three FCS dudes are starters were starters at their FCS schools, but the three 
power five dudes were guys who have like keep missing time. One of them, because he keeps getting injured and also he got suspended uh, for a game for a week because he was like scuffling with the police. It's kind of a weird story. Um, it's weird. Uh, I kind of actually think the police were to blame to be perfectly honest, but like whatever, who, uh, I don't want to get into that. Um, the other two are, are, are weird. Um, one of them missed last year with an ACL tear, but then he was like kicked off the team for some other reason. Or like, Oh man. Um, wow. and then the, the third dude, um, <laughs> he was, he was academically ineligible his his true freshman year in 2019, and then he played in 2021 or, or 2020 wasn't half bad, although it was 2020. So I sort of question that. Um, and then 2021, I felt like he stepped back. Um, and then 2022, he was academically ineligible again. Um, so it's like all three of these guys missed a lot of time. And then there's also sort of a funny thing. With, um which is that Colorado for a long time was really the school was really handicapping themselves because they were using the same um, progress towards degree requirement that Stanford was um, in terms of uh, players transferring in as undergraduates. And so essentially Colorado had extremely few players who could take advantage of the transfer portal. And it was a big, big problem for Colorado for a long time. And it was shocking to everybody the Deion Sanders hire by Rick George, their athletic director, was um, ex- was shocking to everyone. But what like it covered up was shocking thing number two that they did, which if they didn't hire Deion Sanders would have been blown everybody who pays attention anyways minds just as much, which is that they got rid of that. And they they went 180 degrees in the opposite direction and they liberalized their transfer rules to be like the most like, you know, open, loosey goosey transfer rules, you know, in in FBS, Um, which is, of course, why Deion Sanders is able to do this to the roster. You know, they went from like the most absurdly restrictive to the most absurdly unrestrictive. And if you're looking for a poster child for absurdly unrestrictive, it's this, you know, guy who missed two seasons at Florida State, you know, not exactly the Harvard of uh, the Florida panhandle, uh, you know, for academic reasons. Wow. So, yeah, anyway, the safety room's a little tough to parse because it's like FCS starters versus Power 5 guys who missed a bunch of time. So, anyway, I walked through that one in the article. And then cornerback is the interesting thing because, like, they have one, you know, Travis Hunter obviously is a star, is a five-star, you know, good for him. Um, but then the other, you know, what's interesting is that, okay, so they have another Florida State starter who's a Marion Cooper who I would have penciled in, but, like, he was sort of inconsistent. But, like, I sort of feel like, you know, he, he was a – I feel like his trajectory led him to be a starter now when he was junior year. But according to Jack, he's like fifth on the list and ahead of him are going to be two transfers in who basically didn't play at all from Bama and Ole Miss. And I'm like, I don't know why, because they didn't play at all. They have no experience. And ahead of all of them is the true freshman, Kermani McLean, who's another five star, but he isn't even an early enrollee. He's a fall enrollee. Um, Who's going to be like, you know, totally thrown, you know, into the fire, which like, look, man, I get it. He's a five star. And I understand also that Deion Sanders is a cornerback and he's the greatest cornerback of all time. And when he says, I think you're going to be ready to play and, you know. You know, he, when he speaks, I should probably shut up, you know, about <laughs> cornerbacks because you know, he's the expert, man. He's been but there. like. 
but look, man, like he's a, he's a late enrolling true freshman and being a five star, like this is something that, that people often have a real hard time with, but I'm telling you in my experience that like, and it's, and it's definitely true of cornerbacks that like experience is more important than talent, like, like experienced talent, like the combination of experience and talent is the most important thing. But if you're facing a tie between like a very talented player and an experienced, but lower talented player that the latter wins, like running a million miles in the wrong direction is a bad thing for a cornerback. Um, like there are other positions where raw talent will trump experience, but cornerback is not quite one of them. Um, you now there's no other way to get experience than playing, but you can get that through sort of backup minutes. And I don't know about throwing this kid right in the fire because like, look at Colorado's first five weeks, they have to go play TCU, the, the, the runners up in the national title game in their stadium in week one. And then they got to play Bo Nix in Autzen Stadium. And then the next week, it's defending Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams. Like, talk about getting thrown in the fire, kid. I hope he don't get cooked. Um, He's got, what's he going to have, two weeks of practice? Yeah. He's got fall camp. He, fall camp is the first time he's going to set foot on a college football field. And then he's going to go to Eamon G Carter and then he's going to go to Autzen, you know, and then he's got two joke teams, but then he's going to go to Autzen stadium and why by joke team, one of them is Nebraska (laughs) 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 with Matt rule. So like, we'll see how that goes. Um, but one of them is Colorado state, which we'll know that one is going to be a joke team, but then he's got Bo Nix and Autzen stadium and then he's got Caleb Williams. And it's like, that's what you're asking your true freshman cornerback to go up against. Uh, boy, you both baptism by fire. You believe in him. Yeah. All right. Colorado has been, been an interesting, you know, team. Obviously I've been talking about them for like 40 minutes. Um, the, uh, the, the, you know, and I've been doing it because like, wow, a lot of roster turnover and I saved them for a last for a reason. Um, but you know, as we always say, uh, you know, we're talking about other teams we are really talking about Oregon and, you know, what, what I went through with all of this is this, you know, obviously the most aggressive in the pac 12 by, by a country mile. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And, and I've criticized as I've gone through a lot of these, you know, aggressive roster managers, you know, where I've appreciated that a lot of these uh, teams that had, I felt fairly complacent roster managers. Like, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did USC where I was like, you know, the king of the lazy roster managers is Clay Helton and they replaced him with Lincoln Riley. But then when I dove into to USC's roster management, which up until Deion Sanders, he was the king of the transfer portal, right? Like he, right. you know, 2022 was like, oh my God, they're all, you know, tra- transfer portal guys in hell. Even in 2023, like that, that was the joke that wasn't even the joke that like of his starting 2022, you know, guys, I mean, like starting 11 on defense, starting 11 on offense, you know, that's what I mean by starting 2022. Like that something like 17 or 18 of those guys are probably going to be guys that he got out of the transfer portal. Um, like, you know, but that even as aggressive as he's been, it's still, I found a lot to criticize for not being aggressive enough in terms of like clearing out career bench warmers and, and, uh, 
and, and not getting enough guys to build out the depth at other units. And, you know, as I have gone through these projects, I kept waiting for, okay, but Dion, though, but Dion Sanders, Dion Sanders, he's the king of the aggressive guys. He's the guy that I'm going to find out when I go through this roster that like, oh my God, it was super aggressive. You can't get more aggressive than this guy in clearing out bench warmers because he got rid of everyone and you That's can't right. get more he aggressive every bench at adding players than this guy because everyone that he added, you know, everybody on the team was in addition. And yet even, even still, you know, as I have done, as I went through on this podcast and listen, and as you read my article, you will, you know, I certainly got a more depth than I did in this podcast. Uh, I still found stuff where I was like, you didn't do enough here. You didn't do enough here. You fell in love with this position. You, you know, you had limitations. Like even that was the other thing that I sort of found was that like, even as much juice as Deion Sanders had, how much time did I spend talking about like, and you, you did too, slurms talk about like all the juice that he had and all the attention that he draws, right? Like even then there were limitations to what he could do and the types of players that he could draw. And then I flip over and I look at Oregon I don't find, oh, no, he fell in love. Oh, no, he didn't get enough guys. Oh, no, there were limitations on what he could take. Oh, no, he screwed up the quarterback room. Oh, no, he made a declaration, uh, you know, that this guy's the starter. Oh, no, there's nepotism. Oh, no, he chased out a guy who should be starting with a guy who's not as good. Uh, right? Right. I, did I Did I say... And they- you know, for an, are any of those true for Oregon? No, I mean Lanning came in basically. I mean he he was at a higher level program than Coach Sanders was previously, but he came in the same way. He's the new guy, has not been a head coach mm-hmm. at this level, and he hasn't used any of those or developed any of those problems. No, no excuses. His time at Oregon. He no excuses with Dan Lanning. I don't. I don't have to make a single excuse for him. And look, it's not like he hasn't screwed up. I criticize his game management against Oregon state. Uh, I criticize some of his game management against Washington. That one slipped away from him. Like I, I don't think that he was perfect. Certainly as a first year head coach, but in terms of roster management, which was the point of this project, like right. there is a King. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's done an amazing job. And, and, uh, and, and with, and, and and first time first time head coach right no training wheels for that dude yeah nope and coming and coming from a program where you're turning away the five stars because you've already got all the five stars so you don't roster management has a has a different uh feel to it for georgia or alabama than it does in eugene yeah certainly all right. We really should wrap it up there. Um, uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Slurms? Go Ducks. All right. Uh, hey, you know, we're coming to the end of June. We got the USA Track and Field Trials coming up uh, in July. I'm looking forward to it. The weather's uh, been cooperating mostly. Uh, very little rain, but it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>